You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Thursday, November 18th. And I'm very happy to be joined once again by fellow South Stands contributor Paige Van Horn from Denver. PBH, how's it going, my friend? It's going well, buddy. Awesome. Really well. Excellent. Good to be with you this evening. We uh, we will be without our our good friend Chad Plummer. He's got the evening off, but we look forward to having him back on the pod next week. Just everyone on the South Stands, keep an eye out on your phone. There could be an Amber Alert for uh, Mr. Plummer in Las Vegas. (laughs) In the Las Vegas area. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So, of course, we're here today to preview number four, Ohio State's matchup with number seven, Michigan State in the Horseshoe this coming Saturday. But before we dive into that, we didn't really get a chance, PBH, you and me, to to Mm -hmm. recap Ohio State-Purdue. We talked at halftime in that game and we were both like, wow, you know, we were, Ohio State, things were rolling pretty good. So our listeners already know where I stand on that result uh, from Sunday's pod, but I wanted to kick the can over to you to, to get your view of, uh, of that game. Why don't you give me your high level thoughts about that game? Yeah. Let's, I mean, I know there was some issues on the defensive side. I think that was just an anomaly. I think, um, you know, like you said, that was an angry team. Mm-hmm. That was just a team I think we've been looking for and wanting to see uh, well, maybe against Nebraska, but you know, we've seen flashes of it previously when that team's rolling like that they're unstoppable mm-hmm. I mean, maybe georgia can stop them um but i don't know anybody else that could potentially stop them it was interesting though i do think the fumble that purdue had i think it was what 14 7 at that point and they brought in that quarterback and next yeah. play, that very first play he fumbled it and mm-hmm. then the next play henderson took it to the house uh, and then it was 21 seven and that game was for all intents and purposes over yes. at that point. However, had that fumble not happened, it could have turned into a shootout. It could have been closer. I mean, I yeah. still think a high state wins going away. The other uh, miscue they had on special teams on the kickoff was just, you know, backbreaking. You could not recover from it. I don't think it would have ultimately mattered, but instead of the game being, you know, just a, a blowout, we could have been sweating it out a little bit. That's true. In the fourth quarter. And so, you know, the defense backing off, you know, it was a little concerning, but I I just, again, it comes down to motivation, you know, for me, when I look at stuff like that, you Mm -hmm. know, like why would a team not be up for this or that, you know, there's only 12, it's hard to stay motivated when your offense literally scores at will, right? You're playing this basically prevent defense the entire second half. Um, and you're playing into what Purdue does really, really well. Right. True. Um, and you know, sort of projecting forward. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, we don't need to talk about, you know, often we'll get to it, right. Like how phenomenal they are with all their weapons. I mean, it's, we're a broken record on that. I think, you know, coming out of it thinking, huh, was that just an anomaly? And is it something to be worried about on the defensive side of the ball? But then I was thinking, they're not going to see another team like that the rest of the season, even if they, you know, make the playoff and, you know, make the, the, the final game of the season. They're just not. And so especially these next few games that are coming up, these are offenses that play directly into what we do best as a defense. 
Whereas Purdue, that guy, I mean, as a backup quarterback starting the season, he's completing 70% of his O'Connell's like, yeah, he was surgical. Um, so, you know, it, it was, I, I was thoroughly, you know, not worried about it. It was a fun game to watch. No stress whatsoever. I thought they'd come out fired up. I think they're going to continue to be fired up and it was a fun game to watch. I agree with all that. You know, Aiden O'Connell, interestingly, that's, that's the Purdue quarterback. Yeah. I agree with you. How come more people aren't talking about him? Cause I mean, Ohio state isn't the only defense that he lit up. And, and, and I said this on Sunday's pod. I mean, you would be hard pressed to find a better statistical line from an opposing quarterback in the shoe than what O'Connell did. 40 of 52 for 390 and four touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, I, I'm thinking of some of the greatest quarterback performances in the shoe that I can remember over the last like 30 years, right? Like, you know, Baker Mayfield when he came into the shoe back in 2017. I remember Phillip Rivers came in like 2003 and lit us up pretty good. I don't even think their statistical lines were as good as that. And it didn't even matter. That was the thing. He threw for yeah. 394 touchdowns on 40 of 52, and it didn't even matter. It barely had an impact on the the final outcome, which is crazy to me. But I think that kid's a good quarterback. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about him. And, well, and I, right? That, I totally agree. But that's what, you know, losing three games will do to you, right? right. You're just not going to, and playing at Purdue. Now, Purdue were eight and one. Yeah. I mean, hell. He, you know, I don't know what his uh, season statistical stats are, but I'm sure they're pretty damn impressive. But yeah. You got to win, right? And you, you know, they're not on TV. But to your point, man, like, is he the second best quarterback in the Big Ten? Might be, yeah, probably. I don't think they're going to see another passing offense for sure. Certainly for the rest of the regular season and through the the Big Ten title game. And I don't know that any of the playoff contenders, save for Alabama has a passing attack like that, that, you know, coupled with also a really good play caller and Jeff Brom. Yeah. And uh, that, yeah, so you're right. I mean, that was a, an unusual uh, passing offense that, uh, that, you know, they're not going to see every week in the big 10 uh, with a good player in David Bell. And I thought they actually did a pretty good job on Bell, all things considered, right? His final line was 11 receptions, but only for 103 yards. And that's kind of like when you play, you go up against a good running back, he gets a hundred yards, but it takes like 35 right. carries to get it. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah I, nothing backbreaking by him, right? He's going to yeah. get his, right? I mean, right. They, they, they ran some, some, some plays like, damn, that was a creative play. Like that first maybe touchdown, like, yeah, he was wide like open was fullback, you know, it's just like, <laughs> that was just, that was just drawn up beautifully. Right. Yeah. Like sometimes you got to tip your hat, like, totally. damn it. That was super, super creative. Um, and then they did expose us on our secondary that, you know, but you know, sometimes you just got to say, hey, man, that was a great play and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. I may have overreacted a little bit on Sunday talking about the defense I, because then I listened to, you know, our friend Bill Landis and and some of the other folks whose you know, opinions I listened to pretty closely. And Landis wasn't nearly as concerned. He felt much like you did that Ohio State probably let their foot off the gas with a big, big lead. Also went a little vanilla on defense mm -hmm. too. Didn't really try much. Um but you know, I, at the same time, I don't want to completely excuse away what we saw. Now they're ranked Ohio State 108th nationally in pass defense. If you consider the carryover from last season, right, where we were ranked in the 100s, uh, you know, in pass defense to finish the season. And I referenced what you had said, uh, you know, at the end of last year on the pod, which was that, you know, it's just inexcusable for Ohio State to be ranked in the 100s in any statistical category. So, um, and it was a little troubling for me to see, 
yeah, those receivers being schemed so wide open and our def- our secondary being so confused by what they saw. But overall, you know, here I am bitching about a, a you know, do, how, do I sound like the consummate Ohio State fan, right? You know, complaining about a four touchdown win over a ranked opponent. Right, um, right. <laughs> yeah, in pretty, I mean, not rough conditions, but it was windy out there, yeah. you know, like in both those guys, Stroud and uh, O'Connell, man, they they lit it up. And lit some, it up, yeah. Know, blustery conditions. And, you know, it was a fun game to watch. There yeah. was no stress. That was the best part. Yeah, exactly. Fun fun all the way through, no stress. Uh, great effort out of the running game, too. I liked what I saw out of Mayan Williams and, and Travion Henderson. Yeah. I like what the coaching staff has been doing with Travion Henderson in really, you know, limiting his carries uh, and his workload because he is a little nicked up. I don't know if you've noticed, right? He's been in that medical tent a few a few different times over the last few games. He's not a big dude. So I think they've been smart to limit his carries. Only 13 carries last Saturday. Uh, you're obviously going to need that kid, right? They've got much yeah. bigger fish to fry. Well, on the contrast with Williams, I think, you know, even though, you know, he's, there's a tremendous, well, there's a big drop off between the two, but that guy was running hard. Yeah. And, you know, if you take some of the burden off Henderson and like you said on the pod, right, he's probably going to have to put on 15 pounds to, you know, take the punishment of a full season in the Big Ten. Um, But, you know, I mean, a phenomenal bounce back game from the offensive line, right? They were they were great. They were great. And Purdue wasn't a shit defense, right? I mean, they ranked like 26. And that's right. You know, they they took the Greek freak completely out of the game. (laughs) So. You know, I think from an offensive perspective, that was the most encouraging thing, right? The offensive line got it back together. The running game was looking strong. Yeah, I do like that one-two punch, right, with Williams, even though, you know, Henderson clearly just is a difference maker back there. But, right. man, like running Williams behind that line in the third and fourth quarter, you can just wear people down. And I'll take 10, 12 yards a pop oh, every yeah. single time. Right? Shit, you take, you take four or five, and that was just coming at will for them. Yeah. Yeah. Williams was, was great. It looked, he finally looked healthy. Both he and Master Teague have been injured, you know, in and out of the lineup all year, dealing with, you know, various injuries of, of, of sorts. So it was good to see him healthy. Hopefully that's, this is what we get. I, I, I you know, you, you give me that Henderson Williams one, two punch to go with the passing game. Um, right. I, I can't even conceive a be, of a better offensive attack. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to contend for a championship with with that setup, it is interesting. The uh, the, the semifinalists for the Blitnikoff Award were announced today. Only one Buckeye made that, and it was Chris Olave, which was kind of ironic, right? Because uh-huh. I think everyone would say, every Buckeye would tell you that Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson are having better statistical season. I think they're just having better, bigger impacts from one game to the next uh, than Olave. But it's Olave who gets the nod for the Bolitnikoff Award. No, I mean, no knock on Olave. He does lead them right. in in re- receiving touchdowns this year. And he's a great receiver. And uh, But uh, I thought that was interesting. You know, Garrett Wilson, especially after the way he played, what he showed in that game, uh, to, to get kind of snubbed for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like they, they keep Olave, you know, um, they, they set him up for, um, deep balls and, you know, po- deep posts. Yeah. So he doesn't maybe, you know, get as many, uh, looks as, uh, Wilson and JSN, but, uh, you know, I mean, 
those awards, right? You take them with a grain of salt. Totally. I mean, at least one of them were, I mean, they all technically all three should be on that list. I mean, it's just a travesty, but they're just, the writers aren't going to do that. And that's why that shit's just bullshit. Right. Totally. I mean, and it begs the question, how many of those folks are deciding on these things actually watch the games, which often enough that, that very, very infrequently are they actually watching the games? <laughs> So, all right. Well, hey, look, uh, you know, great. Uh, the high State offensive line showed up, uh, you know, flashed to just in time, right? This is what we wanted to see out of that that uh, unit uh, heading down the home stretch here. So why don't we uh, turn our attention then to this Saturday's top 10 matchup between number seven, Michigan State, and number four, Ohio State. The line is Ohio State minus 19. The over-under is 68 and a half. The game is a noon Eastern kick on ABC. Now, the Buckeyes lead the all-time series between these two schools, 34-14, to 14, and they come into this game winners of five straight over Sparty, including last season's 52-12 to 12 Laffer in East Lansing. I don't know if you remember this, PVH, but Ohio State had a bunch of COVID absences last year in that game. No Thayer Mumford, no NPF, no Josh Myers, Josh Proctor, Duff Borland, Tyler Friday, and also Ryan Day were all COVID absences for that game. High State had to go into that one with a patchwork offensive line. Larry Johnson was elevated to head coach for the game and no problem. Buckeyes jumped out to a 35-zip lead in the third quarter, outgained Sparty 521 to 261, and uh, it wasn't much of a contest at all. And what a difference a year makes uh, and the transfer portal makes <laughs> for head coach Mel Tucker right now in his second season at Michigan State. The Spartans are now 9-1, led by Wake Forest transfer Kenneth Walker the third at running back. Walker the third leads the country in rushing and seems destined for New York as a Heisman finalist. We'll see how things go in this game for him. Now, he led Sparty to an improbable comeback win over Michigan uh, back in October uh, 30th, rushing for 197 yards and five touchdowns. So let's have a look at uh, the, the stats here for Michigan. Uh, they are a pretty potent offense coming into this game. They are 24th nationally in total offense. They average f- about 450 yards per game. They're 10th nationally in offensive yards per play, averaging 6.83 yards per play. So, you know, pretty explosive. The aforementioned Kenneth Walker the third is a big part of what makes this offense go. But, um, you know, sophomore quarterback Peyton Thorne having a nice season, averaging 246 yards per game, completing 63.4% of his passes, 21 touchdowns to eight INTs. And Sparty has a pretty good pair of receivers in Jaden Reed, who's fourth in the Big Ten in receiving yards with 829, and Jalen Naylor, who I don't think is going to play in this game. Now, Naylor has not played since the win over Michigan. I don't know if you saw this or not, PBH, in that game. He was spotted on the sidelines in the second half of that game with a cast on his right hand. So not a great sign. He has not played in their last two games. I don't think he plays in this one. But, uh, you know, Michigan State has another guy in Reed that Ohio State has to be very mindful of, especially with that, you know, that shaky secondary they've had over, uh, you know, over the season. Now, on the other side of the ball, Michigan State defensively does not really resemble anything close to those great defenses under Mark D'Antonio. Sparty comes into this game 111th in total defense, giving up 443 per game. Yikes. Uh, now, they're a little more respectable in defensive yards per play. And a lot of a lot of folks use defensive yards per play now as kind of the, the number one metric for measuring defenses. Uh, they're 55th nationally in defensive yards per play at 5.38. Still not stellar, right? Still not great. Um, but it's the pass defense where Sparty is just historically bad. They are dead last in the FBS PVH at one. Again, like how is that possible? Dead last. I don't know. You can't. 
you're, you're in the Big Ten. That's just this. This shouldn't be allowed. I, I agree. I agree. And I think they actually went out to the transfer portal and got some guys to shore up that secondary. And uh, it has not worked. Given up 329 yards per game. Again, that's dead last in the FBS. 100. 30th. Uh, and, you know, that's a key stat to bear in mind in this matchup, obviously. Now, Sparty does do a couple things pretty well on defense, starting with its pass rush. They are 15th nationally in sacks with 33. That's only one sack behind Ohio State, by the way, who's 13th nationally. Um, pro football focus rates the Sparty pass rush 22nd nationally, which is right behind Ohio State at number 21. Uh, so, uh, you know, Michigan State can get after the quarterback. They're pretty good on, in that regard. They also have a pretty good against the run. They are 20th nationally against the run, giving up 114 yards per game. A couple players I want to shout out on the Sparty defense page, and then I'm going to kick this to you for a concernometer score. Jacob Panasiuk. I'm butchering that name, but he's a defensive end for Sparty. He leads the team with eight sacks, 63 total pressures, uh, according to PFF. The Greek freak last week for Purdue, I think he was in the high 40s in total pressures. Panusiak, 63 total pressure. So this, is a guy, this is a dude can get after the quarterback. He's got eight sacks. Defensive tackle Jacob Slade is another guy to watch on the defensive line. Now, uh, Slade has 32 pressures. So between Slade and Panusiak, they are Sparty's top graded defenders, according to PFF. They also have a defensive tackle named Simeon Barrow. Uh, he's another name to watch. Now, that's if he plays. He's been a little dinged up and he actually didn't play against Maryland. So good defensive line, uh, you know, statistically speaking, in terms of getting after the quarterback, that's something to be mindful of. Uh, Sparty's leading tackler is senior safety Xavier Henderson. Uh, now he leads Sparty uh, also in snaps at 828. So he never leaves the field and PFF really likes Henderson as well. They grade him as Sparty's third highest defensive player. Uh, so, you know, they got some dudes, even overall, they, uh, you know, <laughs> statistically this defense stinks. They do have some nice pieces on the defense. One last thing here I want to point out, Sparty's schedule breakdown, and I know you have to be careful about applying the transitive property here in college football, but Ohio State and Michigan State have five common opponents so far, Nebraska, Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, and Maryland. Sparty is four and one against those opponents, outscoring them 143 to 88. That's a point differential of 55. Ohio State is five and zero against those opponents, outscoring them 257 to 80. Five. That's a point differential of 172. So, you know, I, again, you can't always apply the transitive property and, you know, because styles make fights and that sort little. of thing. You can a little. But you can a little and you can't overlook it, right? I think that tells us a little something there. Uh, but those same five opponents, a, a point differential for Ohio State of 172 compared to 55 for Sparty. Okay. Let me know how you see this game. Give me some thoughts. And then why don't you give me your concernometer score? <sighs> It's weird, right? Like I have never been less worried about a top 10 team coming into the shoe <laughs> right. uh, in a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'd say one, but I'm going to go with my concernometer just being a two uh, for a few reasons. Number one, like I just said, I, are they really the seventh best team? Yeah, good question. If they are, then that's an indictment on the rest of college football. I just think they're there because no one else is very good either. Um, but the, the bigger reason is what they do well offensively. I think we do the best defensively, right? I think, you know, if you're just going to line up and try and run the ball down our throats, when has that really worked? You know, maybe, I mean, outside of Oregon a little bit this year in a long time, mm -hmm. it just doesn't work. They're playing right into our strengths. 
Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, right? Like you said, like dead last and pass defense against this offense. <laughs> right. Good freaking luck with that. Right? Like, how is that going to be? How's that going to work? Yeah. Yeah. Just to back up your point here, Paige, Ohio State 13th nationally in rush rushing defense, giving up only about 106 yards per game. So uh, you're right. That, that is a strength for this, um, f- for that defense. That is the one thing that they do well. Yeah. You know, it's like, like a team like Purdue is, you know, not, not that I ever thought that they would lose that game. Right. But they're going to do some things that could expose any defense and especially our defense. I just don't think Michigan state's going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so our strengths against their weaknesses and it's, I think this is a mismatch. I just don't know how, um, you know, Sparty comes in and pulls this game off. I mean, you can even like, right, go to the gambler's Bible and say, oh, are we looking ahead to Michigan? Something. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I think this team has found its focus again. Um, I think they're going to be fired up. I just looked at the weather. I think the weather is going to be perfect for what we want to do. I just, I just don't see how Michigan state can hang with us. And it's great because they're ranked seventh, but I'm just not, a, I'm not buying it. Yeah, and and again to, to to back your point up, I'm looking at team passing efficiency. Ohio State is third nationally in team passing efficiency, so you know uh, obvious strength not not only just for Ohio State but among the best in the country, top three in that in that regard. So. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, that that is definitely uh, something I looked at too when I was looking at my uh, concernometer score. The two best teams Michigan State has faced so far are Michigan and Purdue. And in the win over Michigan, they were outgained 552 to 395. And they trailed most of the afternoon, had to come back from a 16-point third quarter deficit to win that game. And to their credit, they did. But you know, look, you know, they, the, the, the playoff committee likes to talk about game control, right? They, they were not in control of that game. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they took the lead within, I think, the last five minutes. I think they had a couple of early leads in the first half that only lasted a couple of minutes and then really trailed throughout most of the game until the final you know, five minutes. And then in the loss to Purdue... Sparty never led. They were outgained 594 to 458. Uh, the, the passing numbers they allowed in those two games are staggering. Cade McNamara of Michigan, Aiden O'Connell of Purdue combined to complete 69% of their passes for 919 yards and five touchdown passes. I mean, I shudder to think what the Ohio State passing game will do to that defense. Uh, to your point, right? The playoff committee is billing Sparty as a top 10 team sitting just outside, you know, looking in. I don't think I'm buying Michigan State at this stage at this stage of the Mel Tucker regime as a true top ten team, but you know they do have some nice pieces, including as we've mentioned Kenneth Walker the third, Jaden Reed at receiver, a competent quarterback and Peyton Thorne, a good defensive line that can create pressure. We're also only a couple of weeks removed from back to back lackluster performances by the Ohio State offense against Penn State and Nebraska. The Ohio State defense also has not seen a good running back since early September when it had trouble containing uh, Mo Ibrahim in the opener against Minnesota and C.J. Verdell of Oregon in week two. Ibrahim and Verdell both went over 160 and for two touchdowns each against Ohio State. And in the case of Verdell, he averaged like eight yards a carry in that game. Now, you know, very well documented. Lots of changes have been made since. The hockey line substitutions have gone away. They've identified who their best players are. So I think you would agree. We both feel like, oh, they've improved, but we just need to see it, right, against a quality running back, and they'll get that opportunity, uh, you know, facing Walker. So because of all those things, I'm going to set the dial on the concern meter right in the middle at a five. Which I, which I think is pretty low considering this is a matchup with a top 10 team. So I think um, 
yeah, they have some nice pieces, but I think doesn't it take more than nice pieces to beat this team, right? Yes, like it does. <laughs> right. I, I, the only way is if something goes terribly wrong, right? right? I mean, you know, it's the same thing with Purdue. Like they have nice pieces. Yeah, that's fine. Like we have nice pieces at every single position. And by the way, in two thirds of our positions, we have NFL first rounders. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, how does a team like Michigan state come in unless, you know, turnovers or something, you know, bad weather. Right. You know, I just, the sum of the parts doesn't add up to be the team like a high estate. Number one, number two, I was like, we will have this exact same conversation next week. Right. Right. (laughs) These are carbon copy teams, you know, I mean, and I think you have to do more than, you know, one thing pretty well right. in today's game, especially, you know, like if you want to be playing at the level we're playing at, you know, in the top four teams in the country to, to beat us. And I just don't see it with, with Michigan State. That's the second point. The third point is, does Mel Tucker sign his new contract before kickoff? Because if I were him, I certainly would try and sign that contract before kickoff. <laughs> because this right. could get ugly. And so do you really want to pay a guy $10 million a year for right. 10 years? Um, yeah. And you know, you have another topic of conversation. No, no. I think it's actually pretty, pretty uh, appropriate for this discussion because you know, does that enter as a distraction at all? I mean, you're preparing for the biggest game of the year, a measuring stick game, a game that would vault you right back into the playoff discussion, would put you in the driver's seat to win the Big Ten and get to the Big Ten title game and get to the playoff. And you're negotiating a new contract in the middle of, the, of this week of preparation. I mean, I don't know. I, the, I know Michigan State is... That they hear the rumors, right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, Tucker's yeah. name has been mentioned in connection with. There's a bunch of, of prominent jobs are either now opening or opening up this offseason. Florida, LSU. Well, Florida, not. We don't know for sure yet, but Mullen is on the hot seat there, right? I mean, yep. it's just a matter of time in his case. LSU's already open, right? USC's already open. Um, so, I get it. You know, the administration there is anxious to lock up Tucker. But man, the timing, um, I don't know. I, if, if for no other reason, as a superstitious fan, I just want to want to put the hex on my coach <laughs> for this game, right? By by doing right. this. And and right, you you uh, when we texted about this earlier today, it's a 10-year extension, if not mistaken. And you, I like the reference, the uh, Charlie Weiss reference, right? Because that's what Notre Dame did, right? They kind of gave him a premature, you know, 10-year extension off a pretty good year, but it was kind of like... He hadn't really sustained any success yet. This is kind of what what this feels like with Tucker, right? It totally does. Yeah. I, and I don't know. I, so I agree. And well, I I said it, so I sh- should agree with myself, hopefully, um, <laughs> about this feeling a lot like Charlie Weiss. I don't necessarily think it's the wrong play for Michigan State, no. though. Um, you know, I, you know, even as much as Tucker says this is a destination job, I don't know if it is. Uh, it's not a bad job, um, but if you they make you one of the top ten, you know, paid college coaches in the country, okay. Um, you know, is it better than Florida, USC, and LSU? Mm. Definitely not. No. But those jobs come with some baggage. That's true. Um, and you know, you can go nine and three in Michigan State, and you know, and they'll be stoked. Year, yeah, every fourth year you compete for you know a playoff spot. Is, is that better than going to LSU? And if you're not competing for a playoff spot within year two, you're on the hot seat. Yeah. The uh, the measuring stick there um, is um, 
it's not quite as daunting as you as you said at these other as, as they are at these other programs. And uh, he's going to be able to get some Ohio kids, right? He's in a pretty fertile, uh, you know, recruiting area, though he is competing with the likes of Ohio State and, you know, Michigan and Notre Dame and stuff. But I think this is what you have to do if you're Michigan State. Under the circumstances, you have to overpay. You have to overcommit to to lock him in, especially with these other jobs open. Yeah. Whether or not it's the right thing or not, there's no doubt if they don't do it, one of those other schools are coming after him and they're coming hard. So you have to buck it up and just bite the bullet and hope it works out. And I have a feeling he's going to, he's, you know, it will work out. He's definitely a good coach. He's proved that, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, his, his, you know, uh, whatever this season, notwithstanding, he, he did great at Colorado before, you know, he took uh, the Michigan state job. So their hand is being forced. That's the way it goes. And in, in college football, apparently they're just billionaires that are going to write the check, right? They, they don't <laughs> care. You know, it's like, I, I read about the bios of those two guys. The one guy's worth like $6.7 billion, oh, wow. which I've been saying for years, right? Like, that's what you need. You need one billionaire booster that gives a shit about football and then you can do whatever you want. Who cares? <laughs> right? I had not read that. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. So yeah, they, they've got some backers There's there. Two of them. Okay. Yeah. And they're just like, we got this. Don't worry about it. I mean, the one guy is literally worth $6.7 billion. Oh I forget. He started some like PayPal or something, not PayPal, but something FinTech and it's just absurd. So yeah, why not? You know? And, uh, and then if I'm Michigan state, I give you that contract. And by the way, your buyout is $20 million a year. Cause we're not doing this every year. Right. 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 We're going to make this just so painful and then lock them up and then roll the dice. I also think it's kind of in an indirect way, an indictment on Harbaugh and Michigan, like, we we're going to be better than them. You know, like we will, they're not going to play redheaded stepchild in the Michigan any longer. And I think I love it. it. You know, Tucker is looking at this, like, I got this, this is going to be easy. And, you know, if Michigan were the juggernaut that we all thought they would be or should be with Harbaugh, whatever, man, maybe you don't take this job. It isn't a destination job, but you dominate Michigan recruiting. You come into Ohio because we recruit at a national level. You take, you know, the guys we don't want, you know, or, you know, the guys 15 to 20 in the state of Ohio, they're, they're going to be back. They're going to be good. They're going to lose a lot of guys. They'll actually probably be much worse next year than they are this year, unless they kill the portal again. Yeah. But yeah, I was listening to Michigan state's beat writer, Colton Pouncey, I think his name is, he writes for the athletic and uh, they are uh, not afraid to, to really kind of lean on the transfer portal to to continue to build out their roster and he said that is a part of their strategy um so it, and they did it this off season that's obviously how they got kenneth walker uh, the third and and i think i think pouncey said 12 or 13 other players to kind of fill out their roster but obviously you know walker the third is the most prominent of those um and you know look there's a blueprint there mark d'antonio showed you the blueprint um and you know tucker could simply follow that or a version of it there's success to be had there. You just follow that blueprint. Yeah. Um, so very interesting. Antonio was a little, he, he was Jim Trussell-esque, right? And we're going to win with defense and their defenses were sick. They were great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michigan state and, you know, uh, kudos to them, right? Like we want some freaking competition in the big 10, right? Like pay your guys, you know, I mean, outside of Harbaugh and, and go for it, man. And, 
try and compete at the highest level. We need that in the big town. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly. So I'm, I assume that if they're willing to, you know, to give Tucker a 10 year extension and throw all this money at him, that they're also willing to spend money on a staff. Cause that's another big yeah. part of it, right? You gotta, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know your, uh, your philosophy on paying assistance, uh, on high priced assistance, but you know, you look around at, you know, like Alabama and some of these other elite programs, you know, it is important to have a, a really highly competent staff. So I wonder if they'll give him enough money to put together a decent staff there as well. Sure. They will. Um, all right. Well, why don't we go to score predictions here, Paige? Give me your score prediction. Man, I'm trying real hard not to call the Buckeyes in the 60s. Um, <laughs> like, like, how are they going to stop us? I just, good luck. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Buckeyes 56, Sparty 22. 56, 22. Okay. Got it. Um, I've got Ohio State 45, Sparty 20. I did the same as you. I felt like, uh, you know, 50 seems a little high. It is Michigan State. It is a top, you know, I'm in air quotes, a top 10 team. But I'll be conservative and say Ohio State 45, Sparty 20. And this is provided we see the same Ohio State offense that showed up against Purdue, that showed up against Indiana. You had that stretch there, what, four or five games where they were just you know, uh, you know, mashing opposing defenses. And, you know, if that version of the Ohio State offense shows up and there isn't any funny business like there was against Nebraska or Penn State, um, yeah, I, I think it could be a name your score affair. But Buckeyes 45, Sparty 20. I was just going to say real quick, I just don't see, you know, like you, a team ranked in the 111th in total defense, 130 in passing yards allowed uh, to be able to hang for four quarters with Ohio State, you know, on the road uh, and, and not just, you know, uh, the best offense in the country, probably the most explosive offense in Ohio State history. Um, I think that's just a really tall order. And, you know, I've seen some folks compare this game to the 2015 game because because of where these teams are ranked right now in the playoff rankings. Uh, that, that 2015 game, I mean, you know, a lot of differences to that season compared to this one. Uh, but, you know, uh, Michigan at the time was ranked number nine. Ohio State was number three. Uh, but that was a veteran Michigan State team, the core of which had been together for a long time. That was peak D'Antonio. He was, you know, eight seasons in. It was during that three-year stretch between 2013 and 2015 where Michigan State went 36-5, and five, won two Big Ten titles. I don't know, in year two of Mel Tucker, I made re reference to this earlier. I just don't think that's where this program is right now. Maybe they can get there in another couple of years, but right now, I don't I don't think they're ready to win a game like this. Sorry, Paige, you were going to make a point. Go ahead. So, so give me your prediction again, your score prediction. 45-20 Ohio State, which feels a little conservative now that I right. say it. Okay. So let's play let's play a little game here. Okay. I like you, right? Like you you rely on history a lot. Like I'll uh, never forget true. being at Bayside with Sloaner in whatever, 1998 and watched when we were number one with Joe Germain and we lost that game to Michigan State and we still <laughs> have PTSD with that. So let's, let's, let's do a little exercise here. Yeah. Take, take away the team, right? If you can, in your brain and the number seven ranking. Okay. Team. And I told you that Ohio State was going to play a game this weekend in Columbus against the 111th ranked, and I wrote this down because you just said defense and the worst pass defense <laughs> in the country. Right. 
Do you really think Ohio State's only going to score 45 points? You're probably right. You're probably right. No, I mean, if you look at it from that, if you just strip away the names on the jerseys and, right. you know, the rankings next to the names and just look at those stats right there. Uh, no, I mean, for, like I said, 45 seems conservative, but I'm throwing it out there just, you know, because college football can be weird. It's November. It's cold. It's who knows. Yeah. No, Weirder totally- things have happened in this series, but- you make a good point. No, I mean, what what was yours again? 56, 22? 56, 22. And I'm yeah. trying, I mean, I, I could make a case for 65. <laughs> yeah. I, right. I mean, they could have done that to Purdue last week. They took a knee yeah. at the five yard line with, you know, two minutes to go. They could have punched that in to make it 66 something. Yeah. Uh, 66, what, to 31. And, and they elected not to. And and that, by the way, that Purdue team handled Sparty. And that, that Purdue team really, I don't want to say blew them out, but. It wasn't much of a football game. No, no. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, we'll watch, we'll be completely wrong on this. <laughs> the other interesting thing is, you know, what is the game plan is Ryan day just, Hey, you know what guys just, we're going to pass the ball 75 times because <laughs> I mean, like in his career, will he ever play the worst ranked pass defense ever again? Like, you know, like some level, unless it's in the non-conference, it. right. And then like, yeah. you know, the week two, right. Yeah. What are the chances even that so, it's like, yeah. yeah. Like even Akron probably has a better second day <laughs> than Sparty. They do. I, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, if we're looking at the rankings right now, yeah. Um, so, okay. Well, we both feel pretty comfortable about this one. We'll see. It always makes me a little nervous when I'm like, you know, I'm feeling comfortable. I, I'm anxious to see uh, how the defense responds this week because they, no. you know, I think even they would admit wasn't their best effort last week. No. And they had been showing steady progress every week since the Oregon game, which I was really happy to see. And um, I'd like to see them get back on track. I think it's important they get back on track, even if the offense is unstoppable and it doesn't really seem to matter. I, I want to see a better effort out of the defense, and it may help, as you pointed out, Paige, that that they're just Michigan State's a better matchup for our defense. You know, being a bit more of a you know play action passing team that you know relies heavily on the run. Um, but I want to see how no, those linebackers. Right, it's a good point. Yeah, they need to play better. Yeah, I mean, they not just for for this uh, for this Saturday, but beyond for the 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 future here and their playoff uh, prospects. Um, I want to see how these linebackers deal with um, with Walker the uh, third. Yeah. Now you've got um, Steel Chambers now as a starter, and um, I, I'm I'm looking for a better effort out of the linebackers. Um, this and, is like to the linebackers, right? Like this is like a tough Borland game for Tommy. Uh-huh. Right? Like, <laughs> right. You know, like this is what this guy was, you know, built to do. Right. Uh-huh. You, know? So, you know, and Walker will get his right. He'll probably end up with a hundred, but you know, just limit him. Right. Yeah. And make, take away what they do best make them beat you some other, some other way. But I think to your point, right. I think the defense does need to, to step up. It wasn't great last weekend. I'm giving them a complete pass. Like we've talked about before. Right. But you know, okay, that was a one-off. Now you need to step up and, you know, they need to shut this team down. They'll get a few points, but yeah, um, I think, I think it is important that they, you know, fix what, you know, was so wrong or conceivably wrong last weekend. Yeah. The, the issue I had with last weekend's approach was they were dropping eight a lot into coverage and only sending three. And I, I could understand the logic there because, you know, they, 
they throw so much and they, you know, they have what they line up with receiving, you know, four or five receivers in their formations and stuff. But to me, the one thing that Ohio State does at a high level is get after the quarterback. So if you have, if your, if your game plan uh, neutralizes the one thing that your defense does well, I think there's that that's a flawed game plan. I, I hope they don't do that again. I hope they really send their pass rush after Peyton Thorne and just live with the results because I think we've got enough of a sample size that, you know, we know Zach Harris and Tyreek Smith, those guys are eventually going to get home and they're going to, you know, they may give up a little bit, but they're going to make some plays too. The Ohio State still leads the country in defensive touchdowns and mm-hmm. uh, you can't neutralize the strength of your defense uh, in the way that they did against Purdue. You got to get after the quarterback and just live with the results. You got to, you know, and you also have to trust you know, you got to trust the guys on the back end to make some plays too. They got some good corners. I know they're a little shaky there at safety, um, but I don't know. Just play to your strengths, live is, with the so results. Like, it's, a total, it's a total fan perspective, right? Because we right. like, you know, the guy's completing 70% of his passes and we're pulling our hair out in, in theory, right? Not, not in actuality for you and I, <laughs> but, right? Like you know, you're like, right. there's only one object. And Ryan Day says this kind of a lot. It's like, we're just trying to win the game, right? All right. you have to do is win the game, right? And so we'll give you 600 yards. If you make two bad, uh, if you have two bad turnovers, right? Your game's over. It, yeah. <laughs> it's a boat race, right? Yeah. Um, and, and which is exactly what they did. So, you know, like the game plan is the game plan, even though you could poke holes in it. At the end of the day, they still won by 28 and like, well, do we care if they give up 500 points? We, you don't want, you don't raise the trophy. You know what pro football focus says your secondary (laughs) in the country. Right. So you you win it by winning the games. And so, you know, it's, it's different from, I think their perspective than it is from our perspective as frustrating as that can be as a fan. Um, I wonder how they they look at it though. I don't think they would look at it the same way. You know, my friend Dan made a pretty good point about um, the the approach by the Ohio State defense, which was that they seemed they they got out to the big lead, then you know they dropped eight, they only rushed three, but what that prevented was the quick strike and the big play, and they made Purdue string together ten play drives, a thirteen yeah. play drive, eat clock. I mean, they they got to you know they racked up the yards. And they were able to get into the end zone, but they ate up a lot of clock in the process. And on the other, you know, when Ohio State had the ball, they were boom, boom, scoring, you know, right. four plays, two plays, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking at, yeah, one play. They had a one play drive after a fumble. That was the Trevion Henderson yeah. long yeah. touchdown run. After that, they went later on, they had a two play touchdown drive and then they had a four play touchdown drive. If Ohio State's scoring like that, they're making their opponent drive the length of the field, 10 to 13 play drives, eat a bunch of clock. They seem satisfied with that. And I can understand that is a viable game plan too. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we uh, we did a good job here, buddy, uh, looking at this game pretty much from every uh, conceivable angle. There, there's one other game I'm kind of curious about. I wanted to get your take on Oregon. They travel to Salt Lake City to play Utah. Mm. And they are actually a three and a half point dog in that game. This is number three, Oregon at number 23, Utah has already lost three times, but they're, they're now a three point dog in that game. Oregon is, um, I'll be interested to watch that game. It's it's because, you know, Oregon, I, I think it's just a tough matchup for them. Um, Vegas 
Vegas likes Utah in this game. I think it's very interesting. What do you think? Is, is Oregon just going to kind of keep chugging along, or do you think they're going to meet their eventual demise, kind of like what Oklahoma ran into last week against Baylor? Well, I have no – I mean, talk about, like, no clue. I mean, Utah – but Utah – the last few years is a legit program, right? Yeah. Obviously they're pretty good. And I'd never, ever, ever, when Vegas tells you something, you need to listen to what Vegas is saying. Yeah. Uh, and Oracle, Oregon has struggled a little bit recently. Yeah, they um, have. I mean, they weren't so, impressive last week too, against Washington state. They, you know, they had a, it was a one score game midway through the fourth quarter. They eventually pulled away and, and made the final score look a little more impressive than it was, but yeah. you know, they, they've been, they, they've been playing that game, you know, for several weeks in a row now. Yeah. And and so honestly, I have no opinion. What what strikes me though is what kind of is really fun about college football is, is and it doesn't matter either way, right? Like right. but it was fun like when we needed certain things to happen, not only, you know, for a high state, right? God, we need so and so to lose, right? And then uh-huh. we come back in there, right? Uh-huh. High state wins out, we know they're in. Um, right. But it is still fun but, to watch the dominoes ahead no, totally. of them fall, it's, right? <laughs> it's totally fun. But where I'm going with this is, do we care? Do we care if Oregon wins or loses? I think we do, right? We still want yeah. Oregon to win. Um, and, you know, what I think would be great is, and what I, if, well, shit, if, if Bama plays Georgia close in the SEC championship game, they're both getting in. We would then, and if Oregon wins out and we went out, then you could have two rematches, right? That's true. You would have one for Georgia, Bama, and then two, three, Oregon. That would be awesome. So for that reason, I'm rooting for for Oregon, but to be a three-point dog on the road, that that's pretty surprising. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess I I just want to get Ohio State out of that four spot and a you know a first round matchup yes. with Georgia, right? Um, but yeah, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. But hey, we're fans; we can look ahead, right? We don't have totally, to prepare yes. for a game against Michigan State. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a very interesting game to watch. You know, Michigan visits Maryland, who stinks. We know this, but they're only a fifteen point favorite in this game. Um, and maybe it's just because of the way Michigan plays. They're you know they rely heavily on defense and running the ball, and they're just not very explosive. And they kind of just grind you down. They grind the opponent down, no matter who the opponent is. But I thought that was kind of interesting that they're only a fifteen point favorite in that game. I I don't expect Maryland to win, but that line stood out to me as one that seemed a little low, uh, even for Michigan. I do you, I don't know if you have it handy, but it, se- it seems to me that Michigan has just had the easiest schedule of all time. I like, can look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody? No, I, I, mean, I mean, Washington, I think in, in the non-conference, but they're not any good. They like, had a nice win last week at Penn state. I thought I'd give them a little bit of credit. I thought they were going to blow that one. Well, you and I both thought they would lose that game. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it looked like they might, I and mean, they could have easily, they could have, right? but they, they, they actually had kind of a nifty play call there. They're tight end on that crossing yeah, route to spring him for, play. but, but no, to your point, Michigan really has not played anybody. They they opened with Western Michigan, then Washington, who we thought might have been good, who stinks. Uh, Northern Illinois, they killed. Then Rutgers, who they struggled with. Now, they beat Wisconsin um, at Wisconsin. And at the time, that looked like, you know, Wisconsin yeah. was down. Uh, that That's looking like a nice win. And they won that game by three touchdowns. I still kind of feel like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how good Wisconsin actually is. People are like, well, they're playing really well. I go, well, is that because they already played Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan and lost all three of those games and now they just get to beat up on the on the Big Ten West? Yeah. Um, Stop. Yeah. And then, you know, probably the best team they played so far was Michigan State and they lost that game. Right. Um, so, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is for sure. We we're rooting for Michigan on this one. Yeah, I, I agree. On, don't, uh, don't blow it. Don't right? it's <laughs> all the luster off next week. Yeah, on, <laughs> I, but probably the most intriguing game of the afternoon is Charleston Southern at Georgia. Of course, I'm kidding. I mean, but this is this is what the you know the the infamous yeah. you know FCS school that the SEC right. schedules right before rival their rivalry game. I hate this. This is such chicken shit. Uh, but whatever. I mean, look. I mean, look at this. Ohio State is playing the seventh ranked team in the country. Now, whether we actually believe or not that Michigan State's that good, still way, way, way better than Charleston Southern, and a game that you know could totally derail Ohio State's season if they don't play well. And Georgia schedules this game. I know Bama does this. All the heavyweights in the SEC do this. The second to last week of the season. It drives me nuts that they it's do ridiculous. this. I, I mean, how could that university even have a football team? How is it even possible? What's Charles the point Southern? of playing this game? I mean, I know other than to to donate a million dollars or whatever the payout is to the Charleston Southern Athletic Program. Um, I, I hate these games. I think these should be yeah, disallowed. I, I I hate that. Um, and then lastly, I don't know. Hey, look, Bama's been shaky all year long. And now they're hosting Arkansas, number 21 Arkansas, who has a pulse. You know, they, they don't suck. They're seven and three. They're the committee likes them. They're, they're number 21. Uh, although, you know, the, it could be that the committee's propping Arkansas up to to improve Bama's resume. You never know with the committee, but I don't know. Bama's a 20 and a half point favorite in the game in this game. Again, it's in Tuscaloosa, but who knows with the way Bama's played this year, th- this could maybe turn into an interesting game. I mean, th- that's just an in- an indictment of just shitty games. Uh, <laughs> the, what tenth week of the season? Like, really, that's it? Like, yeah. Ohio State, Michigan State, and that's it. Oregon at Utah. Like, come on, that that's a joke. Yeah, right? yeah. No, I mean, I think it's it's. There's going to be this rivalry Saturday clasm that happens next week uh and then of course you know championship week but i agree with you i mean the big 10 seems to be the only conference that's putting on any decent games the week before um there is an interesting game also happening with cincinnati uh they're home against smu who's eight and two smu pretty powerful you know offense pretty explosive you know uh you know within the context of that conference since he's only an 11 and a half point favorite they've had some close calls too it'll be interesting to see if they can escape, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like there there could be one unexpected, you know, kind of interesting result out of all the games that we mentioned. It feels like who does Baylor play this weekend? I think Baylor's pretty good, by the way. I, I do too. Uh, there now the the Baylor's problem. Well, they travel to Kansas State. That can always be a tricky game. Kansas State is a one point favorite in that game. Wow. K State's seven and three. Baylor's a, now they're eight and two. They just hammered Oklahoma last week. That's a good game. That's a yeah, good game. Yeah, good potential trap game there for Baylor coming off the big win yeah. over Oklahoma. So I don't know. Interesting games. You know, it's it's not the best slate, but there's some there's some interesting stuff that could happen there out of all that. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, hey, listen, this is a great effort for a Thursday. I think we're coming up on about I don't know 45, 50 minutes. Love it. You got any other any anything else you want to say about Ohio State or action on Saturday before I let you go? No, I think, again, just everyone keep an eye out for Chad. We're kind of worried about him. <laughs> We're going to see his face in a milk carton here uh, before <laughs> too long, right? Yeah, either that or the uh, craps table at the end. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, hey, thanks again for making the time. Have a great night, hey, and I will catch up next week. Okay, buddy? You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook 
and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.